five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello, and a very warm welcome to episode 353, 353 of Five in the Eye. A prime number show. Oh my goodness, so exciting. This is me, Michael Ohajuru, looking forward to looking back over the five of the stories that caught our eye this past week, right here on Colourful Radio. And this is Phil Woodford joining Michael by Zoom and revealing that we're welcoming back an old friend of the show as our special guest today. You may remember her as the controversial Abby Kay, but she's now officially the controversial Mrs. Abs Law. Hi there, Abs. Hi, Phil. Hi, Michael. It's so happy to be back on Five in the Eye. And I can reveal our top story is about leadership in the UK in the wake of the Partygate vines for Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. It follows hot on the heels of the hullabaloo about the tax affairs of Dishy Rishi and his wife. What standards, if any, can we now expect in public life? Five in the eye. Our second story, it's the cost of living crisis. Phil found a story in the New York Times which shows a snapshot of the problem. Chippies, that's chip shops for southern people, chippies in the UK are paying much more for fish, spuds and oil and have to face massive energy costs too. They pass the cost on to the customers, but for how much longer? Hmm. And story number three this week is a controversial new speed app, which encourages you to record and report fellow motorists. The producers of the technology are being forced to lie low. What's story number four? Well, apparently financial experts in China often rely on the ancient art of Feng Shui to predict market trends. And the regulator is now taking a dim view. And finally this week, to wrap up the five, it's a desert pig who jumped into a car, managed to get the vehicle into neutral and started sailing off across the street. I heard a pig's flying, but driving? That's ridiculous. And this that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. We're going to kick off the show this week, but we have to, with what's happening with, uh, with our government, with our leadership, with... With um, Boris being fined, being fined. And he paid it willingly, 50 quid, apparently, 50 quid, for going to a party during uh, the lockdown. Now, there was, uh, there was so many of his, his um, MPs and his cabinet ministers that were defending him by saying he was only in the party for 10 minutes. He was hijacked. He didn't know what was going to happen. You know, so it doesn't seem fair. You know, Phil, you know, when, we, when, when they were using that, that word fair, I was minded of myself. Just let me take, make it personal. First, I wasn't allowed to see my, my grandson, 5th of May, 2020, being born because the lockdown was on. I couldn't be there. I couldn't hold my grandson. A dear friend died. A dear friend, Enrique, died. Only 12 people were allowed at the funeral. We were outside. A couple of hundreds, hundreds were outside and, and separated because we couldn't be together. You know, we, I say we the people, went by the rules, and it seems he didn't. And now they're defending him. And it seems extraordinary, extraordinary, that uh, a prime minister can break the law that he set and then be defended. And people even apologize, for, well, it's not quite as bad as that. It's just, you know, come on, Phil. You know, there's one, literally, and it sounds like a cliche, one law for them, 
another law for us. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, can, you can't I, defend I, I, I this. Com- I completely agree. I mean, you know, that, that if there's one thing that this whole administration will be remembered for, it is exactly that: the one law for them, one, an, another rule for us. And you can see it also with Rishi Sunak's um, family tax affairs. Both, uh, you know, he with his green card in the states and uh, his wife with her non-dom status and so on. I mean, once again, there's a, there's this sense that the people who are making the rules are finding loopholes in every way out following the rules that we're all supposed to follow. And uh, it doesn't sit well with anybody, does it? And, and I, I, I think, you know, the, the orchestrated campaign of support for Boris Johnson with uh, Tory MPs sort of tweeting templated um obsequious you know uh, messages of support immediately after the fines came in i mean who are they who are they trying to kid uh, this is is so obviously um organized and uh, it doesn't treat the public with any kind of respect at all abby what do you think about all of this because i know you know you you you're a, a, a tory at heart aren't you but you become increasingly alienated i sense from Boris Johnson's regime. What do you make of Partygate and non-Domgate and all the rest of it? How do you think it's affecting the Tories? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I am a Tory anymore. And I'll be completely honest about that. I I feel I feel politically homeless right now. Um I completely disagree with the way that the government handled the whole pandemic. I don't think that we should have done it in the way we did. And I think the fact that People in number 10 were partying and people in the cabinet office were partying and people in loads of different government departments partying. And to me, that just says those people were not afraid in the way that they had made the majority of the population terrified. They weren't scared. They weren't. And they were happy to break the rules while making sure that people were getting fined for taking their dogs on a walk. I mean, there was there's a place called Clifton Marina near where I live. And at the height of lockdown, the police were sat out there waiting in the cars to stop people mm. who were going on a walk around there. And to me, like when I look back on that, you had children's playgrounds chained up. It was just, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's absurd that we even went along with that kind of absolute nonsense for as long as we did. And when you look at the damage that all of that has done, I mean, I read an article in the Times the other day, they were talking about... um young children and babies who had only seen masked adults it's affected the way that they communicate with Mm. people and their ability to empathize because they don't understand facial expressions that i mean that to me is is terrifying i find that completely completely scary much scarier than covid for me as a young person i mean i've have had covid um I didn't, you know, I was poorly. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, though. And I wasn't afraid of it at all. It might have been if my risk profile was different, but it wasn't. And I don't like the way that the population was absolutely manipulated and scared out of their wits while people at the top of the country were partying. That makes me really angry. And I don't think that, particularly with Boris Johnson, he's gone into Parliament and said, Oh, I've been assured that these parties didn't take place. Well, sorry, mate, but you were in the garden of number 10 mm. while people were out there having a drink when you were telling mm. us that we couldn't meet another person. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's double standards. And no, I don't think that Rishi or Boris should be in power, mainly because they put those rules on everybody else, to be honest. 
But if they, when they did introduce those rules, they had an absolute obligation to follow them themselves. I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100% in the sense that we were, and I used to be afraid because my partner, she had health conditions, so we were very afraid. So we, we went, went by it. You know, my concern is that, and it, I looked at America and how shame seems to have left politics. There's nothing that, that, that can make them shame and, what, and resign because they've done something so heinous, so against morals of the day. And with, I'm seeing that here in Britain, the, the, Rishi with his, with, his, uh, with his dual nationality or, or, or his green card and his wife's tax, and now this, he's still staying there. Yeah, I mean, Johnson, you could, you could almost, this, Michael, you could almost, of, you could there's, almost there's, there's nothing they can do. You could almost script the response, could you? I mean, I, I predicted that what they would say, basically, and it was proved, proven, my prediction was proven correct, is that they'd say, well, these fixed penalty notices, they're a bit like driving into those kind of hash markings at a junction or or driving in a bus lane or something like this, you know? And and sure enough, before long, we we, we, we start hearing arguments like that. It's not the same thing. We were in a, we were in a national crisis. Now, you know, I disagree with Abby over the extent to which we needed to do this stuff. I think a lot of the stuff we did in the early days before the vaccine was necessary, although I am fairly liberal about the, the COVID issue now that we're all vaccinated. I mean, but leaving that to one side, it was a period of crisis and um, it's complete, you know, breaking the rules that we imposed, extraordinary rules on imposed on people's freedoms um, when you set them yourself is just unacceptable and anyone with any sense of honor would resign were you surprised um abby that rishi sunak didn't actually go this week um because there was this period of several hours wasn't there where you know there was woody wouldn't he he could have left boris right in the lurch if he'd said the right thing the moral thing to do was to quit yeah i think rishi has been stupid here if you were if you were in his position and you had any political sense you would resign, make it look like the honourable thing to do. Mm. Also, issue a statement saying mm. that um, anybody else who has broken the rules should be doing the same thing. And then mm. you'd probably be able to return to the, the front bench anyway at some point in the future. I don't think it would be the end of his political career, but I think that sticking it out like this and not showing that you have any integrity makes your political career more likely to be marred by it for a much longer period of, period of time. Um, I mean, that's that's what I think. But personally, for me, I wouldn't want Rishi to be leader of the Tories either, because I think him and Boris, they're both they're both tainted. Exactly. Me, like, I, I, the way they've handled this. Be, that's a great word, tainted. And you use that word integrity. And then you said honour. These guys haven't got it. You know, they won't fall on the sword. I mean, I do, you know, I, I do believe that they should be held accountable for, you know, for what they've done. I do believe they should resign. I also don't believe that they will. And um, the message for me is if if we elect as a, as a country, if we elect people who are privileged, detached, um, elitist, liver charmed existence, are amoral. Um, this is what will happen. This is so. The message is: we've got to be electing better people in the first place, and we've just got to have a better choice on offer than we did in the 2019 general election as well. Because the reason we're left with Boris Johnson is the Labour Party was in such a terrible mess. I, I mean, I would probably, I'd agree with that to an extent, but I'd take a different message from this and say, 
politicians should not impose ridiculously illiberal rules upon the population that they cannot follow themselves. You know, for, I mean, I personally know that I didn't follow the rules of lockdown to the letter because I would have gone mad if I did. And I'm glad that I didn't when I look at this situation now, because why should I have done? They weren't. And they weren't bothered about it either. They weren't afraid. So I'm glad that I didn't follow it to the letter. And it, it makes me sad that a lot of people missed out on a lot of things during lockdown because they were trying to follow the rules to the letter. I think we should make clear that ABS wasn't at 10 Downing Street for any of these events, though. <laughs> no, I was not there. <laughs> it's different if you're making the rules. It is different if you're making the rules for me. I could forgive anybody for a lockdown misdemeanor, but not the people who are going on your TV screens night after night and saying, you can't see anybody, you must stay at home. If you're doing that, then you have an obligation to follow those rules to the letter. Live in the eye. Story number two this week is about the cost of living crisis. And um, there's an interesting prism that this is viewed through in an article in the New York Times. I'm, it's always fascinating to read articles about the UK that are written by uh, journalists from overseas who are writing for an overseas audience. And this is you know, describing the situation in the UK to an American audience primarily. Um, and they did a, they, they've been to loads of fish and chip shops and they've talked to the association that represents the chippies. There's about 10,000 of them in the UK. 3,000 of them apparently are kind of in fairly imminent danger of going bust. Uh, this is a treat that a lot of us would enjoy. It's a, it's always been a fairly affordable kind of, uh, a fairly affordable kind of treat. And um, what's been happening is everything that the chippy buys in, the potatoes, the oil for the frying, the fish itself, for all kinds of reasons that we know about related to uh, Brexit, the supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine and so on. Everything's been going up. And of course, the fuel, uh, the fuel energy bills are skyrocketing as well. And these chippies have been trying to pass the costs onto customers, some of them raising prices three or four times in just a matter of months until there comes a point where they realize the customers either won't pay or can't afford to pay. The prognosis, Abby, for the economy generally must be pretty grim in the medium term, mustn't it, with this huge inflationary pressure. What, what, what's your take on it? You know, there's a couple of a couple of things to tease out there, aren't there? I mean, I work as a journalist in the agricultural sector, so I'm looking at the price of food all the time. And um, for primary producers, their input costs are going up massively. Price of fertilizer has gone up loads. Um, and the Russia-Ukraine situation, both of those countries are major wheat exporters. So the fact that you're going to lose some of that wheat being exported onto global markets, that's driving global wheat prices up, which then feeds into livestock feed costs. And then, of course, you have energy. So I really don't think we've seen the tip of the iceberg of food price inflation. I think people are really going to be shocked when food starts rocketing up over the next year or so. And it's going to it could ultimately have an impact on supply. Actually, if if farmers can't get enough fertilizer for their grass um, so they can't produce enough milk or if they can't get enough fertilizer for the wheat so they can't grow enough that could actually mean that we could be in a really serious situation for food supply over the next couple of years so it's really concerning 
Um, and then you've got the energy price issue, which is obviously a bit separate for consumers. I mean, Michael was just saying before that uh, he felt quite glad when he saw me post my increase in energy bill on Facebook the other day. So my direct debit has gone up from £100 a month to £308 a month for a two-bed terrace house. I'll be, can I just put in perspective? Mine went up, I'd say, from 57 to 100 and something. I thought that was, whoa. But yours is, oh my goodness. And you know what? The most annoying thing is I'm, I'm militant with the heating <laughs> to the point where my husband goes mad. It was 12 <laughs> degrees in our dining room the other day. The central heating does not go on. We have a couple of portable radiators that go in the rooms that we use. But yeah. I don't know, genuinely, bills are going to go up again in October. I don't know how we can reduce our usage any more than we already are. We are literally on the minimum. It's put another layer on, um, get an electric blanket, and and to be paid, I mean, £308 a month, that's getting up for mortgage payments. It's it's insane money. Abs, I'm with you. To the point where I've I've, I've talked about being on a war status. You know, don't you know there's a war on? Mm. You know, and this this is you know we know it's not directly related to Ukraine, but that mentality because Ukraine has caused other inflationary pressures on us. But this this heating, it's been a real heavy thing. Now we've I've started wearing a coat, you know, just mm. when my partner who's not here because she needs the heat for her health conditions. But when I'm on my own, I'm with you, Abby. I'm, I've got the coat on, and it just it just because for me, it just doesn't seem right that in, that increase. It's just it's just stupid. Just come on, man, that's outrageous. You know, we 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 know that um, there's there's a kind of fairly obvious solution, as recommended by the Labour Party, with the energy costs certainly, which is that we go to the energy suppliers and we impose a windfall tax on them. Oh, no, 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 I'm not with you on that. We take that money and we help to subsidise people who are really struggling with their energy bills. There's a long-term issue. There's a systemic issue. The system is wrong. We've got to fix the system, not just do this temporary fix to to. to uh, the oil companies. Because let me tell you, many of us with pensions will will benefit from these oil companies having the money to pay our pensions. No, there's a systemic issue here. There's the kind of safe, secure oil. Michael worry about his stock stock portfolio suffering from the recommendation, I think, Abby, yeah? Come on, man, come on. I'm a pensioner. I I do agree, though. It's fundamentally, you need a long-term energy strategy. And for too long, we've been too reliant upon gas. You know, as we need to broaden out our energy mix and make sure that we're getting energy from a broader range of sources. And it's a really difficult issue to resolve. It definitely can't be done overnight. I mean, how much do Labour say that they'd make on a windfall tax? Yeah. Come on, Phil. They say enough to cut people's bills by 600 quid a year. No, no it's expedient. Expedient just now. Everybody's everybody. bills. Yeah, but Michael, Michael. It's a long-term Michael, issue. It's a long-term uh, issue. Michael, people are facing the choices right now, aren't they? Like you are, about whether to put their coat on or not. Except there's going to be some people who are a lot more hard up than you, and they're having to face mm. really, really difficult choices. So why yeah, would we yeah. poo-poo the idea of giving money back to people right now? Okay, Phil, I'm going to, I'm sorry, Abby, I'll, I'll let you come back to Phil, this is what we have government for, to make those decisions, to find the most needy and look after them. Because, Abby, Abby, one of the things you posted, posted that really made me think was about the, this, these sanctions and food prices. You know, the sanctions are not going to help us in terms of our food pricing, our food security. In fact, they're going to be the opposite. Mm-hmm. So we've got, we've got pressures on the price of food. We've got pressure on the price of oil. Can I be brewed here? 
Isn't this what the government's supposed to do to protect us from these things, to give us food security, give us energy security? What are they doing? Mm. Well, I think when you look at our overall stocks as a country, we are uh, uh, the, the amount that we have in stock is way lower than most other European countries. So they've been able to dip into their reserves in a way that we haven't. So we've obviously got ourselves into this situation by having a really short-term attitude to energy. But I mean, I just I'd be interested to know on practically speaking, would there be a means test for people who were able to access that support for their energy bills? Like how, how would it work practically? Because I'm sure I probably wouldn't be eligible and probably quite quite rightly so because there are people who are suffering more than me but i'd just be interested to know how yeah well, how no, but I, I mean i i think that's fair i mean i think having a means test on it is is perfectly fair and to say that in in a crisis like this we're all affected we, we, but many of us are, are affected worse than others i mean i go to the supermarket at the moment i'm seeing prices going up I'm in the fortunate position. I have good, you know, good, good income, and I can afford to. I, I gulp as I look at the prices, but I can afford to pay them. There's someone, there's someone down the road mm. who can't afford to pay them. They should be getting the money from the government, not me. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, I do think. What about the final point before we move on from this, Abby? What about labour costs and and, and and wages? Because surely. Um, you know, if you're struggling with your 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 energy bills and you're saying that they're going up as fast as they are, the obvious thing is for you to go to your employer and say, "Look, my salary is going to have to go up uh, to match inflation or beyond inflation." And, and lots of people are going to be having those conversations, aren't they? Yeah, they are. But I think that if you work in the private sector, you can have those conversations all you want, but you might as well be having them with a shut door. Um, <laughs> if I were to my employer and said, oh, listen, you know, there's a lot of inflation going on right now, they're facing exactly the same kind of pressures as a business. And it's almost ridiculous to expect that you're going to get, I mean, for the past few years, we've managed to get a sort of incremental increase that has sort of matched inflation. This year, you can absolutely forget it. It's just, it's not going to happen, and businesses have to stay afloat. So I can, I can understand it from from both sides of the coin. Really, it's it, it's difficult. It's as difficult for businesses as it is for for individuals right now. Five in the eye. Story number three this week is about a new speed app. Um, this is an interesting one, Michael. Now, this is the idea: is you can record people as they pass you. Um, speedy, you hear them kind of revving up behind you on, on a motorway as they pass you. You capture the evidence on this app, and which obviously could then be used against them potentially in a court of law. What a great way of putting extra pressure on speeding motorists, some would say. Others might say, What a grotesque intrusion and um privatization of law enforcement uh, what what did you make of this michael and would, would you use this app uh, no 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 if, if this was like that like dad's army i remember back in they used to see these guys on the edge of villages in their the the yellow jackets and those and the faux speed guns trying to slow people down you know if they want to slow people down Put some speed bumps in there. What we used to call sleeping policemen. There are measures you can take to slow people down. You know, so so you could do these things. This this is not the way to do it. To tell us and to, to, to snitching on each other. What was people were saying? This is a bit like East Germany, where everyone was reporting on everybody else. You know, there are some freedoms that we need. We, we do need, 
And I think that, that speed limit well, is, is the, one the of free, them. The freedom to drive at 120 in a 70-mile motorway. No, 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 hang on a sec. The freedom to be a responsible citizen and, and obey the law. So you, you immediately go to the fringe. But the majority of us do, do, want, to, do want to respect and obey the speed limit. But we don't want to be policed. Mm. You know, so I think, I think sorry, this, this, this is going a bit too far. People reporting on each other. If if they're really that worried about the speed speed limits, then put measures in place on that particular piece of road. It can be done. Abs, what do you what do you reckon? You're a great believer in the free market, so you you you'd you'd applaud this um, innovative entrepreneurial idea of the app. Well, um, Michael's talking about having speed bumps. I think Salford Council takes the approach that they just won't maintain the road so that potholes slow people down. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> This, yeah, this why idea not? Of a snap. Why, why not? I mean, yeah. Fair enough, you know, this this entrepreneur who wants to remain anonymous because he's getting abused, apparently. Um, if you want to start this out, go for, go for your life. I have no problem with that. But I do think that this kind of thing panders to people's worst instincts. And I actually wouldn't have believed until we lived through the pandemic what a nation of curtain switches we are and how many people are actually willing to grass on the neighbour. And I think that is just the worst possible trait. You don't know what anybody else is going through in their life. You could catch someone on that speed app whose mum was dying in a hospital bed and you wouldn't know what the reason was that they were driving particularly fast that day. You just got no idea what's going on in other people's lives and you've got to give people a bit of, a bit of leeway. And also what are they going to do with all the data that's stored in this app? I mean, that's a big concern of mine. These massive data companies, these massive tech companies, sorry, they're holding so much of our data now and it could be used for nefarious purposes in future. You don't know what it's being used for and I find that really worrying. I've raised a good point there in terms of these cover, these these databases like the, the Apples and the Googles, et cetera, own this data. What, what, what I find interesting about it is that the, this app is not on the Apple Store. Because they're still looking at it, they're still considering it, and and this, it seemed, it seemed it made me smile because at the same time on the same app on the same Apple Store you can buy locations of speed cameras. So on the one hand, you can find out where the speed cameras are. Yeah, yeah. So basically, <laughs> apps that help you break the law or evade the law are fine, but apps that help to enforce the law are dubious. Yeah, I'm not so. I'm not really so sure about this. I mean, you know, on a sec, Phil. I'm going to say, who says they enforce the law? Does that mean everyone's breaking the law because they're traveling at a speed you think is faster than they should be on that road? You don't know. Uh, um, um, Michael, there will be a speed limit on the road. You might be aware that there's a national speed limit of 60 miles an hour, and you're occasionally given the grace to go at 70 miles an hour on a motorway. But this isn't the German autobahn where anything goes, is but, it? But, but hang on a sec. But, you know, at, at the end, of, w- w- one of the things we've enjoyed with with the car for this last century is the ability to go as we please within limits, within limits, and those limits are signposted. Now, if, if those signposts are turned into every man, woman, and child on the road in terms of an app, that changes the environment for driving. And I don't think that that is, that, that is conducive for a healthy, positive society. Let me tell you why. I come back to the, the analogy of Eastern Germany, where you didn't trust anybody. And that's reflected in the fact that these people are now in hiding, because we don't like this surveillance. This I would surveillance. also say... This app is probably going to be redundant in the next like twenty years because everybody's going to be in um, driverless cars, so it will be moot. 
<laughs> Having said that, I want to have my own car. I don't want to go to I know, I want to have my own car too. I like driving. Freedom. Oh, my goodness. Do you think they're going to have like places where you can just go and do laps with There'll be two roads. There'll be the... There'll be the roads for those who want to drive themselves, and the roads for those who want to go in a, in in these these auto cars. I'm, I'm I'm very happy with that. You know the fact that we we we've got lanes on motorways now. We can divide them up. You know, so you can go the way you want to go. What's what that song? What's the song say? You can go your own way. You know, so I, I'll be I'm, I will be joining you in the driven rain, the the driven lane. Phil will be in, in the um. I'll be in road. the I'll be in the driver's. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be chauffeured around by a robot. That's that's my that's. I my will went up into the pub. <laughs> oh, you're, you're so sensible, Abby. You're so sensible. <laughs> it raises a question of like you know Abby, Abby driving, having broken the lockdown rules. I mean, off to Barnard Castle, perhaps. Um, how, what, what kind of speed would she be doing? We don't know, but uh, hopefully, it wouldn't result in a fixed penalty notice. Five in the eye. Story number four is about China and feng shui. Because apparently the government has, uh, have banned a couple of stock dealers from using feng shui to predict stock. And I've got to say up front, this is just nonsense. Because why is it nonsense? Because predicting stocks, it's a gamble. It's a punt. It's, a, you know, you don't know. But you know, people have used... Um, octopuses they've used monkeys they use all kinds of things to predict stock and it just seems bizarre that the government wanted the control the prediction of stocks it just seems bizarre bizarre and and, and you gotta remember feng shui is about calm it's about organization it's about position and those are exactly the things that the market is not about the market is about confusion it's about distortion and it's about creating you know, finding a way so it just seems bizarre that the, the Chinese government wants to control the stock market but I guess this comes back to China as, as a country it's about state control the state being in control so I think for, 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 for me Phil this is uh this is nonsense this is the China Chinese government come on you can't control a market. As far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned, if 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 someone wants to go along to um to a market advisor or a broker or something, and these people are reading runes or they're or, or they're throwing dice or they're, or they're I don't know they're communing with spirits or whatever it is to tell you what to do. Well, as long as you know what they're doing and they're upfront about it, well, you know you can take their advice or not as they as the case may be. I mean, I personally wouldn't rely on it. I don't know a lot about this feng shui. I remember. Jeremy Hardy, the late comedian, when his definition of, of feng shui was uh, move that sofa over there. That'll be 50 quid. Thank you. Because um, I, I thought it was all about, uh, you know, how you organize flows of kind of energy in your home and things like that. Appy, do you know anything mm. about it and how it how it works and how you'd apply it to stock markets? I was going to say, I'm an absolute feng shui um, novice. The only reason that I can think that a regulator might have done this is to protect the person who is investing. So if the regulator's looking at it and thinking, this is utter nonsense, a bit like Michael, are they doing that to protect the people who might be paying these experts to invest their cash? Yeah. So they're basically saying, well, this is this is a sham. You're not allowed to do this anymore. It's, that's the only reason why I could think. But I mean, how do you even apply, like you say, Phil, Feng Shui to, to predicting market trends? 
You know, my my things for knowledge relates to um, put the toilet seat down. Okay, right. <laughs> isn't that isn't, isn't that just what your your partner Rebu just tells you to do anyway, Michael? No, she says put the toilet seat. Oh, that's another story. <laughs> that's another story. That's another story. But I mean, you know, if if it's to, if it's to protect the gullible abs, I mean, you know. Um, you know, Michael's off buying his Bitcoin. He's off buying his NFTs and all this kind of thing. Uh, uh, you know, there's always going to be there's one born every there's one born every minute. I mean, you can't. I'm not going to say that. Listen, I've just my my son has helped me purchased not one but two NFTs. One of what, what seven and a half thousand issued by this the Lobstars. Now, this is not a recommendation to buy. This is not a recommendation to buy NFTs. But I bought some, and I'm very happy with my purchases. Both oh. financially and aesthetically. Like Phil says, there's, there's one bone every minute. Oh, <laughs> come on. I'm joking. I don't know enough about them to say. <laughs> thank, thank you. At least you're honest. Whereas Phil, he sits on the side there, carping, not knowing what <laughs> the opportunities the NFT and Bitcoin market give one. Or yeah, give yeah, I missed out man. on I, I, I missed out on those tulips in the 17th century as well. I, I, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm terrible for this kind of thing. These great opportunities. Five in the eye. Story number five this week is about a pig. Now we lucky we got an agricultural expert on the on, on the show this week. Abby, were you surprised to read about this? This pig is a particular variety of pig that lives in a desert in America, and it it, it was looking for food. It jumped into a car. Um, and sort of, you know, it's a bit like a bull in a china shop. It said there was a pig in a car and it was making a lot of mess and jumping around and it managed to get the car into neutral and it was, it was off across the street. Uh, were you a bit surprised to read about the, 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 the pig that was a would be driver? Um, I can't say I was because it was after a packet of Cheetos, wasn't it? That's why that's why it went into the car. So I can't I can't say I'm surprised that it did that. Um, or that it managed that it got a bit panicked once it once it was in there because I think the um, was it, did the, did it go in through an open boot and yeah, then the, yeah. the boot had shut after it. And so I can imagine that you know it's got a bit got a bit panicked. But I wonder whether it was calm while the vehicle was moving. I mean, it probably wondered what on earth was going on. I, I looked at it. You, you, you picked up on what I picked up on. Don't leave Cheetos in an open car when there's <laughs> pigs around. Do you know what I mean? You go, you know, you know, Cheetos, they just love them. Well, I mean, there, there is, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, this tension in the future between people driving cars and the driverless cars. Could be a third lane, which would be the pig lane where the pigs would drive you. What do you reckon? <laughs> I tell you what, it's scary when you um when a farmer goes to shake feed in a tub to get sheep to follow him, they'll just shake this tub and go out, come on, come on. And it's actually quite scary, like the speed that they run at to, to come towards you. Um, we once had a ramble on my mum and dad's farm and it got it got out of the field. And there's like a lane that comes up to mum and dad's farm and it and it runs it runs um perpendicular to a 60 mile per hour speed limit road. So I was really worried that this ram was going to go onto the road. And so I just went out and started shaking, shaking this feed bucket to try and get it to come up. And I, as soon as it turned around and started charging towards me with its horns, I realised that this was a really bad move and just had to duck out and go in the house. <laughs> wow. So what, what, what would you do with this feed bucket? Just put the seed bucket down and run? 
Yeah, just put it down and run into the house. <laughs> <laughs> I, swear, I swear it was going, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're a very fanciful person. Because <laughs> 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 that was like frightening the goat coming at you 60 miles an hour. Good grief. <laughs> you, you'd be scared. I'm no, no, no. no I, I'd be, I wouldn't be there. I'd be, so, <laughs> I'd be loving the, the Cheetos or whatever, the feed down the road. There it is. You can have it. I'm off. The, the nearest Michael's been to a farm is the nearest branch of Asda. Is that right? <laughs> Five in the eye. Well, that's it for our prime number episode, 0353. If you ever think the driver in front of you is a bit of a pig, remember that you may be closer to the truth than you ever imagined. Who writes this stuff? Well, we hope you enjoyed the show this week. Thanks so much to Abs Law. But Abs Law, that, it, it sounds like, like Boyle's Law, some physics law. It does. I love that name. Love it. Love it. Love you, have, love you to have you on the show, Abs. And uh, lovely to give you your unique perspective on the news. Thank you. You know, the only reason that I'm Abs on social media is so people can't find me on it. <laughs> <laughs> what have we? Oh, dear. <laughs> just, just, just as it. Just a little aside. I mean, a lot of people call me Abs anyway, but... Just people mm. can't find me through work. But anyway, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, next week, in advance of the second round of the French presidential election between Emmanuel Macron and uh, Marine Le Pen, we're bringing in our Paris bureau chief, Julie McDonald, to give us the lowdown on the politics. So do join us then. In the meantime, this is Phil Woodford wishing you a great week ahead. And this is Absolute signing off and saying goodbye. This is me, Mike Blowhead, you're saying, as always, if you have been, thanks for listening. See you again next week for episode 354. Bye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?